Today's daf is of Ayin. We are holding three lines from the bottom of some of Tess Ahmed Beis. We're continuing with the Shilas, the halachic queries that are being raised by Rabbah. And today we're going to be discussing uh, a number of questions that are going to be raised by Rabbah. And we're going to learn this the way, again, the Ron explains it. And uh, just in order to understand the uh, scope of the query, there's a number of different issues in each one of the queries. There are going to be a number of presumptions, assumptions that are being made, but they themselves are going to be subject to discussion. Now, just let's just take the wording. The Let's say the person said to his wife or to his daughter, that I am being Mekayim, your neder, for today. Now, we know that the, both the father and the uh, husband have the right and the ability to either revoke or to, uh, to uh, uphold. They could either revoke the neder or they could be Mekayim, they could affirm the neder. This fellow, what he did was, he said, I am... Uh, Mekayimit for today. Now, what's the question? The question is, do we infer from the fact that he said, I am being Mekayimit for today, that he is implying, but for tomorrow, it will be annulled. That it's, today it's Mekayim, but for tomorrow it's going to be a Hafora. Now, that's the way the question reads. Now, the Ron explains, but that question is predicated upon a number of assumptions. Because assuming that that is what he means, and they say, okay, then therefore, it, today it'll be affirmed, tomorrow it will be annulled. Let's, let's assume that that's what it means. But therefore what? In, the, in order to raise the Shiloh, you're assuming that even though he said that on the day that the person hears the nether, that's the day that he has to be affirming or he has to be annulling the nether. And here what the person is saying is that I am, even if it means that I am being Mekayimit for today, but meaning that I am being Mayford for tomorrow, you're assuming that the din is that you, if you hear it today, it just means you have to affirm today or you have to, uh, or you have to revoke. But it doesn't mean that the revoking has to start today. You can defer it and let the revoking start tomorrow. That's the assumption that's being made. We're going to question that assumption in the next couple of lines. But the assumption right now is that if in fact what the person meant is I'm being Mekayim the nether today, he said, I, he said I'm being Mekayim today, implies that he's being made for tomorrow, that you're implying that that would work, then you have to assume that even though the Torah implies that you have to do something on the day you hear it, it means, yes, you have to do something on the day you hear it, but you can defer it that it should start tomorrow. That's number assumption number one. The other assumption we're making is that if you say that I'm affirming something for today, you can temporarily affirm. We're going to say later on, is it po- it's possible that if you, for even for a short period of time, affirm, once you affirm... You cannot say, oh, and then after that it's going to be a revoke. Once you affirm, you affirm. We're assuming that we don't say that. We say you could affirm it for today, 
and that implies and it's revoked for tomorrow and it would be revoked. But that is the Shiloh, but all of these particulars are going to actually be included in, uh, in Rabbah's questioning over the next couple of lines. So let's go back to Rabbah. Why Rabbah? So all he said was, I am affirming, the day he heard it, I'm affirming it for today. Ma'u, what's the halacha? Mi amrinan, do we say, command amr lo, mufra lechilamachar. That implied in saying, I am affirming for today, you also are saying, I'm being mefer, I'm annulling for tomorrow. That's what implied. Oh dear, ma'halo amr lo, or maybe you cannot, you cannot revoke by an implied statement. In order to revoke for tomorrow, what would you have had to have said? That I'm revoking tomorrow. You can't just say, I'm affirming today and imply that he's revoking tomorrow. He has to actually say, I'm revoking tomorrow. Now, in Tim Saloma, now, let's go to the next level. Let's say we accept that. Hala Amar That unless you said explicitly, I'm revoking tomorrow, we don't imply that you're revoking tomorrow. An implied revocation is not a valid revocation. It has to be actually revoked. So, Amar Lamufar Mahu. Let's take these two... Uh, uh, issues and separate them out. Let's say you never said, I am being Makayim today and I'm being revoked and I'm revoking tomorrow. Let's say all you said was, I heard it today, but I'm revoking tomorrow. The question is, what's the halacha there too? Meaning maybe when the Torah says that you have to revoke on the day that you heard it, what does that mean? That you actually have to revoke on the day that you heard it. And you can't say that I heard it today and I'm revoking for tomorrow. Maybe that doesn't work. Wait, What's that? You have to do it the next day. You have, to, you have to do it the day of, not the day you heard it. I thought you said you heard it, you weren't Makai. No, you heard it and you weren't Makai, but what you said day of was that I want to revoke it for tomorrow, Right? So now, Mahu, maybe you cannot delay Hafara. The Hafara has to take place when? Today, right? Because the bottom line is, even if you did not actively affirm your nether today, the fact that you heard the nether today and you said, I'm being made for tomorrow, that's as if you're being makayim the nether today. Because if you don't, if you hear and don't do anything, that's considered to be a kiyum. So therefore, the fact you're saying, I'm deferring and I want to affirm, t- I want to, uh, I want to annul tomorrow doesn't help. Because by hearing it today, it's considered as if you were Makayim it today. And w- What's that? We're going to talk about whether it's until the night, until the 20 Yom Yom, then, but whatever day means, we're dealing with whatever that period of time means, it's the next one. Oh, Dilma, came under law, Amar law, Kiyam Lechiyayon. Or perhaps, remember, he never actively said, I'm being Makayim today. We're assuming that it's a Kiyam today because he heard it, but they never actually said, I'm being Makayim today. It means you're right. If he said, I'm being Makayim today, then he would not be able to say, and I'm deferring tomorrow, because once you're Makayim today, maybe you cannot be deferring tomorrow. Maybe, maybe. But he never said that over here. He heard it, never said, I'm being Makayim. He just said, all I want to do is that the Afara should be tomorrow. Maybe that's better. Why is that better? Because maybe the way you look at it is that I want to annul your nether tomorrow. But it's viewed as if you started, the annulment starts from today. Because you never actively affirmed. 
And all you said is that tomorrow, like that, that's what it completes tomorrow, but it starts today, and maybe that's enough to fulfill the Torah requirement that on the day that you hear it, you have to either annul or you have to either confirm or. Uh, so therefore, maybe it would work if you just said all you said was, "I want the, I want to, re- I want to uh, uh, be no. made for tomorrow." Now, maybe you'll say, no, let me say, listen, it's still, that's not good enough. The fact that you are quiet is considered to be an affirmation. So therefore, the fact that for today you're quiet and you want to defer the annulment for tomorrow, we don't say, well, it's as if the annulment starts today. You never said anything for today. And therefore, to really, if anything, it's more as if the affirmant started today. And if the cube starts today, then the, that wipes out your ability to annul tomorrow. Kevin de Kaime Hayom, since today you're Makayim, it's as if you're Makayim today, Lemacha command Isadami. So therefore, uh, one second, therefore Lemachar command Isadami. Then what does it mean? Therefore tomorrow it's as if it is in place, meaning the nether is already taken hold by tomorrow, and therefore the fact that you wanted to defer the annulment to start tomorrow cannot take place. Why can it not take place? Because it's already considered as if it's affirmed from today. Okay? So therefore, so let's just go through the steps. The original step was, I, I, am, I, wanted, I, want, to, I want to confirm today. So we thought, does confirming today mean, you say today, means tomorrow you want to annul. So we said, yeah, but you never said tomorrow you want to annul. So said, well, what if you just said tomorrow you want to annul? Right? Without even confirming. So we say, well, if, even if you didn't confirm today, but silence is considered to confirm, and therefore if you are silent, it's if you confirm today. And if it's if you confirm today, then it cannot, you can't annul tomorrow. That's where we're up to right now. So now, Kiem Lechi Mahu. Says the like this. Now this makes it a little better. What if the person actually said, I want to confirm for the first hour. Right? Now you don't have a whole day going by. So a whole day going by is considered to be a valid confirmation. Here you only confirm for an hour. You actually, an hour doesn't make it a full confirmation until the whole day goes by. But what you said over here was, Kim I only want to confirm for the first hour. Now you can ask the Shiloh again. The fact that you only want to confirm for the first hour, what did that imply about the second hour? You don't want to. You don't, and therefore that's going to be, you want to revolt for the second hour. And maybe that you can do because you, can, because if you, you didn't make it a full confirmation. Why wasn't it a full confirmation? Because it didn't last the whole day. Does that imply that it is as if you confirmed for the hour, but it's as if you're annulling the second hour? Or maybe again, in order for there to be a deferment, you have to actually explicitly state the deferment. An implied deferment doesn't help. So just, even though you said, I want to confirm for an hour, which implies that after the hour you want to annul, but you never said that. So you have to actually say it to be an annulment. So fine. So So let's assume that fine. If you don't say it, you can't count it. So Amar Mahu. What me uh uh so uh, uh, but it was uh, he never said it however but what happens if he actually did say it if what happens if he said uh, that I wanted to be uh, uh, confirmed for the first hour 
And I, after that first hour, I want it to be annulled. So what's the Shaila now? The Shaila is, do we say that you're able to do it? Or maybe, doesn't matter the segment of time, but once you've confirmed, even if it's for one hour, that confirmation kicks in. And once that confirmation kicks in, therefore what? You're not going to be able to annul the second hour. Why aren't you? No. Once in the second hour, he said. He said. He said in the first hour, I wanted confirmed, and the second hour, I wanted annulled. Now you actually said the second hour, I want to know, which that takes care of the problem first, and you actually did say it. But maybe it doesn't help. Why doesn't it help? Because once you confirm, even if you gave a limitation that I want to be for one hour, you can't. Once you confirm, it's confirmed. And therefore, once it's confirmed, you can't take it back in the second hour. That's the, that's the more is, is, is pointing out. Maybe you would say that. Once you confirmed, even though your original confirmation was for how long, was only for one hour, doesn't matter because confirmation is confirmation. And once you did it, you can't take it back. Maybe no, because we know that if it's not a full confirmation, if the confirmation comes through silence, for example, it doesn't take hold until you wait the whole day. So this wasn't a full confirmation because you said I'm only confirming for an hour. So maybe you have the ability to pull it back in the second hour and actually therefore revoke for the second hour. We don't say that once it kicks in, it kicks in because it wasn't. It's not different than silence. This was an active confirmation. I mean, a full confirmation is no shot. If a person confirms, you don't wait the whole day. But this person confirmed for an hour. So do we view it like silence and therefore you could take it back? Or maybe no. Once you confirm. It's confirmation. You can't take it back. So therefore, came into Kulayama Bahakama. Do we say since you have a whole day normally to confirm, but it's not a full confirmation, Ubara Faru, and therefore you can you, within the day you could still re, uh, you can annul, you can be made for. So Ki Amar Mufra Lachi Arasha Mahani, and therefore the fact that in the second hour you said Mufra Lachi, it should work. That's the question that the Gemara wants to know. So Umara has to bring a uh, try bring a raya for these shilas. Now the, the raya we're going to try and bring at least should be uh, for whether or not if you will confirm for an hour, you still have all day to revoke, or once you actively confirm, you can't revoke anymore. It takes away the ability. That's at least we're going to try bring a raya for that shila. That's going to come out. So what's the case over here? The case over here was, he heard his wife say, Hareini Nazira. Okay, let's take, let's, let's focus on the case here. He heard his wife say, Hareini Nazira, and Nazira is one of the things, it's an Inu Nefesh, alright? He is able to be made for her nether. Right? But instead of being made for her nether, he went and said, Va'ani. Va'ani means what? I also want to be a nether. Like you are, I also want to be. So we're going to see the halacha, the din over there in the, uh, the, the, it's, I, I think it's a brisa, right? In the is that once he says va'ani, he cannot go back and revoke her nazirus, because that's considered to be as if he confirmed. Her nazirus. He cannot be revoked, his nazirus for sure, her, he cannot go back and revoke her nazirus, because he confirmed. I never said he's confirming in Azirus, but he did. When did he say, by saying, and I, that's considered to be an act of confirmation. Now ask the Gemara like this. 
right? If it's possible to say that if you can confirm for an hour, yet and after the hour you can go back and revoke, why are we saying that when he says Va'ani, there's no way he can revoke a Nazirus anymore? Why? Because he said Va'ani, that's confirming. Why don't we allow him the, op- the, the following interpretation? I accept your Nazirus for an hour. The only reason I'm accepting your Nazirus for an hour is because I want to be able to bind my Nazirus. So as long as it lasts for an hour, Vani makes my Nazirus good. But I didn't take away my ability to, after that hour to come back and do what? So I'll be able to revoke your Nazirus. My Nazirus is already binding because I tied it already. I said Vani. Yours though would only be for an hour. Why do we say unequivocally, once he said Vani, her, cannot, why can't we allow for that interpretation? Must be, because even if he only meant, and you should be a Nazira for one hour, once he said it, what's the halacha? It's considered to be completely binding and he cannot revoke. We want to bring that as a raya, that even a short-term confirmation extends and you can no longer revoke. So that's what the Mara wants to say. So let's see inside. Tashima come and listen. Hareini Nazira. If a woman said, I'm a Nazira. Shama Bala and her husband heard it. Vahamari said, Vahani. And Yachalahafer. He is not able anymore to be made for. Vahamai, why not? Nema, why can't we interpret that what the Vahani meant, the Amarhu al-Nabshay, the Havinazir. All he meant that he wants himself to be a Nazir. But her Kabbalah should only be for one hour because that's all he needs for his own Naziris to be Mekuyim. And why can't he then not go back and be made for even after he said Vani? Because he didn't interpret Vani meant only that I'm kind for one hour for the time it's needed for me to make myself into Nazir. But not taking away my right of being made for your Nazirus. So therefore the Sha'achas Kaima once that hour is over, you should still go back and be able to be made for. So why is it that's clear, it's unequivocal? No, it cannot be made for, it must be what? Love is it not Mishum, the cave and the Kaimu, once he even if he meant one hour, but once he meant the one hour, then what? Kaimu and you can no longer be made for. And that's potion at least one element of our Shiloh. Mora says, alone. You can't bring that as a raya. Why? Because it could be enachinami. If a person explicitly said that I'm in Makaya for one hour, it could be the next hour is allowed to be made for. But that's not what's going on here. We assume any time a person says the expression va'ani, here, what does va'ani mean? Ani means a full confirmation. We don't allow a person to come back and say, because that's not what a person means. When a person says va'ani, that is implicit statement that what you did I am fully accepting completely, which is why he cannot come back and be made for an hour later. So accepting completely on himself as well, right? Correct, so correct. Like, I want to be like you, want to be in, you're in this, you're No, right, that, that, you have to say, I, myself I want to be a nozer, I'm not going to be made a nozer for an hour, for myself I'm full, but for yours I meant only an hour, it doesn't matter, even if that's what he meant, it's possible that that doesn't, we want to say no, we're not, I'm saying that's what we thought it could, you could be, you can't say that. When he says Vani, that could be like you're saying, because obviously for himself he means full, so the Vani on her means full as well, that could be the story. Right, because kol Vani, anytime a person says Vani to the zeros of his wife, it's as if he's saying, 
fall on the wife as well, and that's the reason. So therefore, it's a bayda leivshutzer, which we have to go lechumra. But the question, it really is unresolved, is what if he said just for one hour? For just one hour, is it allow him to be mefer after that one hour or not? We don't know. That's a bayda leivshutzer. Is it like silence that has to go the full day, or is it like a full kiyum, which once you do it, you do it, you can't take it back? That we don't have a. You're not pushing that shayla now. We, uh, we, we, uh, discussed for the last couple of days this concept and we're going to go back to it again as well. So we said that by Aresin, when a, when a woman is a Pnuya, if she is a Nara or younger, her full jurisdictional rights belong to the father. Once she becomes an Aruso, he's splitting his, her jurisdictional rights with her, uh, husband. Even though she's still living in the father's house, it's the first stage of marriage. And here, if she has Nadarim, those Nadarim can only be revoked if both parties come together and both revoke them. But only half doesn't, doesn't allow it to be a full, it's only a full revocation when both are together. Now, Mesa'av, <coughs> let's say the father died. So now, at this point, there is no father. What about those Nadarim? What happens to those Nadarim? Do we say that the, 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 the jurisdictional rights of the father transfer over, they pour it into the, uh, the rights of the husband? Or do we say that still, at the end of the day, the only way the husband can be made for, for an Arusa is if the father is joining him. And since here the father will not be joining him, the father died. So these are, these are no longer subject to the Afara of the of the husband. So, we do not say that they transfer over, they cannot transfer over to the domain of the husband, and these Nadarim will not be able to be revoked. However, the other way around, it's not true. If, let's say, you have a husband who's an, a, a married Narusa, she's still living by the father, and he's the one that died, and she has Nadarim, so now this resets the clock. His rights are now dissipated. They actually transfer back to the father. And the father on his own, unilaterally now, is able to be made for those Nadarim. So therefore, it does pour into the domain of the father. And In this way, the father's jurisdictional rights are stronger than those of the husband's. Because the, the fathers are non-transferable, whereas the husbands are transferable back to the father. Clear? Right. Now, until now, we're talking about only when she is an Arusa. Because once she is a Nesua, I'm sorry, once, I'm sorry, an Arusa, and also that she is still a Nara. But once she becomes a Bulgaris, the father loses jurisdictional rights. He can no longer be made for on a Bulgaris. And says the, 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 the Mishnah continues, There is another way where you actually see the jurisdictional rights of the husband are stronger than those of the father. Now what's the case of Yer that the husband is able to, um, is able to uh, uh, revoke Nadarim even if his wife is already a Bogeres 
Whereas whereas the husband does not have that capacity. Now, just to step back for a moment, when we say over here that if she becomes... You mean the father? The opposite, opposite. When I say the opposite? The husband is able to do it for a Bagaris and the father is not able to do it for a Bagaris. Now, just as a, 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 to st- step back over here for a moment, just recognize this. We are still talking about an Arusa. Because if she's already become a Nasua, the father already lost her jurisdictional right because she's a Nasua. To say that she's a Nasua and then the father, the husband is stronger than the father because she became a Bulgarian, that she's already a Nasua. So I mean, it's the Kiddush is that even though she's an Arusa, and as an Arusa, you would assume the father has jurisdictional rights, but if she is a Bogaris, the father no longer has jurisdictional rights, but the husband does. And that's where you see the husband stronger than the father. Right. So we're going to discuss exactly what the situation is. So now let's go back to the first halacha. The first halacha was that uh, uh, where's the place? Where's, uh, here, the, 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 fir- the first halacha that the, 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 is as follows. Is that uh, why do we say the one wants to know why do we say that first halacha that if the husband if the father dies then we do not allow the jurisdictional rights of the father to shift to the husband we're gonna we're gonna see the second part of it too because we said it does work the other way we said if the husband dies it shifts to the father but we say if the father dies. Those jurisdictional rights die with him. They don't shift back to the husband. And the husband is stuck, by the way. You have to go to a chacham, go to a basin, but that unilateral rights are not granted to him. Someone says, my time, what's the reason? Someone says, the Amakrok, the Pasuk says like this. This is a Pasuk that is in Bamidbar. It says, Eila Chukim HaShetziva Hashem is Moshe. These are the statutes that were given over from Hashem to Moshe, between a husband and wife, between a father and a daughter, when she is a Nara in the home of her father. When she's a Nara in the home of her father. And Chazal Darshan over here, that this extra clause of the Nurea Beisavia means that the jurisdictional rights of the father always remain in the home of the father, even after he passes. That's how we darshan it. It's Benurea based Avia. They remain in the home of her father even after he passes, which is basically another way of saying what? That it well, let's say the father dies. It doesn't go anywhere else. That's what it's oh, saying. It, it doesn't, go to, it doesn't go to the husband. It stays in the home of the father. It doesn't go to the husband, which means that's, that's where we know that if the f- husband, the father dies, the husband can no longer, cannot unilaterally uh, revoke it because he does not have the father helping him. So that's where, that's the drosha. So my time, the Amakrab in when she is in Nara, she's in Beisavia, and she's Beisavia. Mesa Baal to teach, so that, so that, 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 that teaches us that first aloha of Mesa Av, 
we do not say Nisrotna that it transfers the base of Baal. What about the second Allah? Mesa Baal, Nisrotna Shusa'ah. Why do we say that if they had joint jurisdiction, but then the husband dies, that the father does take over the jurisdictional rights and can unilaterally do it? We had this drusha a few days ago. What do we say over there? I think it was either yesterday or two days ago. What do we say? This is the passage that tells me that if she gets married and she has Nadorim on her, but it uses a double lotion. Remember it says, Hayosia. It says the word Hayosia twice. Why does it say in, if she gets married, she gets married? It tells you like this. It's telling we compare. It's talking about a situation where she married the first guy and had Aresin with Nadorim on her. And then he died and she married a second guy. Alright? And the, so, and, and what's the novelty? The novelty is that the same status that the father had before the first guy got married, he also has that same status before the second guy marries his daughter. Which means like this, if we just speak it out, is that means that just as before the first fellow married his daughter, what was his status? Before the status? Before... Before he married, before he got married. Before, it means he had unilateral rights. So too, even though now he shares it because she got married to the first guy, but when that first guy dies, it goes back to the status like it was before the first guy married her, goes back to that status now before the second guy marries her. Now, the only way you could say that, the Gemara says right now, is if you between learn a tra- between the two marriages. Then what's to compare? First marriage to second marriage. So just as before the first marriage, he had father had unilateral rights. So to before the second marriage, the father has unilateral rights. Now, what do you see? You see when the husband dies, it goes, his, his jurisdictional rights, Transferred back to the father. That's what the Gemara wants to say. Makish, the Torah is comparing Kodme Havaya Shnia, the the Nidorim that existed before the second marriage, the Kodme Havaya Rishona to the 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 uh, to the uh, Nidorim that existed before the first marriage. Now there's no Shiloh, Ma Kodme Havaya Rishona. Just as any Nidorim that existed before the first marriage is not even a question. What's the halacha? There it unilaterally belongs to the father. The father does that on his own. So av uh, so he could be made for on his own. Av so too those Nidorim that exist between, after the, means after the first husband died, right, and they were not made for those Nadorim. And now, before the second husband marries her, that well, the same halacha will apply, it goes back to like it was before the first husband, which means what? So therefore, Av, Mefer, Lechude, he unilaterally can go ahead and do it. So again, let's step back here to that. I want to make sure we understand the next question. The point we were asking was, how do we know that if a woman get, got, got married, Arison, we're talking about Arison, and there was a 50-50 shitfus on the unilateral right of revoking, which means both of them have to revoke together, and then the husband dies, how do we know it shifts back to the Rishus of the father that he can unilaterally revoke? That was our Shiloh. Because we said it doesn't work from the husband to the father, from the father to the husband, so why does it work from the husband to the father? And the so, in, so that possibly... It only shows it the first time. 
the Pazuk says, Nureya only shows that, he, that it, it, it never shifts over from him to, from the father to the husband. But what about shifting from the husband to the father? So it says, because why does the Torah make it a second, make it, this applies by second thing? The Pazuk says, even if two marriages, why are you talking about first marriage and second marriage? It wants to juxtapose the second marriage to the first marriage. Just as first marriage, before that marriage existed, the father had unilateral rights, so too by the second marriage, before that marriage exists, after the first guy died, he goes back to having unilateral rights. Therefore you see that the father it takes over the rights of the dead husband. That's why we want to bring a riot, right? Everybody with me? Ask Mara following Shiloh. Mara says, maybe that's only true if the first husband, before he died, never got to hear the Nadorim of his wife. Now, what does it make a difference? Because more we had this far before. That once you hear it, it enters into my domain. It enters my jurisdiction. But if I never heard or knew about them, then it's not in my jurisdiction. So maybe, yes, it's true. The father will be able to unilaterally annul the Dorim between the two marriages. But maybe the only Nadorim is able to annul are which ones? He, that, the, that the first, because that, that makes the juxtaposition, the comparison, really a good comparison. Because just as the Nadorim that the father can annul yeah, yeah, before right. the first ones are ones that the Oris never heard, so too the one he could do before the second one. Maybe are only ones that were never heard by the first guy, therefore never came part of his jurisdiction. That's why the father can do it. But you want to tell me that he inherits the jurisdictional rights of the first Oris? Who says? Maybe the Oris heard them already, yeah. and they, maybe they stay with him when he dies and the, can, the father can't and all that that's the Morris question so Morris says like this maybe the only Nadorim he can do before the second marriage where they did not appear to the Oros what do you mean they not appear to the Oros I mean the dead Oros never heard them so if he never heard them therefore what and they never entered his jurisdictional right but those which did appear to him which he was aware of and he heard so that law must be made for us. Maybe the father cannot be made for those. The Lord says that can't be. Why can't that be? Because if it's an adorium that never entered into the jurisdictional rights of the first Oros, I already know the father can be made for those from that for other pasuk in Bamidbar. Benurah beisavia. Anything that's in the Nara's home, the father has the right. So if it never entered into an, another Oros, then then that, that I already know for sure for that pasuk. I, I don't need I don't need the juxtaposition of the two marriages to teach me that. The only purpose of having the juxtaposition of the two parties means even though they entered into the jurisdiction of the first husband and then he dies, the father can go ahead and be made for it. So says even if if it's a dharm that never appeared to the dead Oros, means he wasn't aware of them before he died. Even though Rabbi Sabiyanafta, that's that's partial can be learned that anything that never left the father's jurisdiction, the father can go ahead and be made for. I don't need a drasha to be teaching me that. So therefore, the drasha of Imhoyosia juxtaposing the first marriage and the second marriage must be telling me that even though the Dorim were heard by the first husband before he died, it unilaterally now can be revoked to equal a raya that the husband, the father inherits the husband, even though we saw that the husband cannot inherit the father. Let's go weiter. Now, we said, that we said that, in this, that the first part of it, we just explained how the father is better, stronger than the husband. What was the second part of the mission of Chulut? How do we see that the husband is stronger than the father? If she became a Bulgaris, when she becomes a Bulgaris, then he unilaterally can do it. Now, obviously, we're not... What's that? 
the Nara, I mean, that's... Yeah, that, know that, what's that? that? That's his right. limitation, right? That's the limitation of the father, right? It's not the limitation of the husband. But the question we're asking over here, what is the scenario? What situation is there that we say that she's an Arusa, who's a Bogaris, and unilaterally we allow the husband, but won't allow the father. father. What is the case? Father. Can't be. Because we already showed before that when the father dies, the jurisdictional rights of the father don't transfer over to the husband. So where is the case that the husband can, be, uh, can annul the, 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 the Arusa's Nadorim as a Bogaris? What's the case? That. Let's see, we'll have to see. So hey, Chidami, what's the case? Right? So if the case was that the time of the Eresim she was a Nara, which means at that time she was still in the jurisdictional right, when there was a partnership. I mean, it started off being a partnership. Because as soon as she gets married in the Rusa, it's 50-50, right? Now, Ubagra, uh, and then in this marriage, she already became a Bulgaris. The Chiddush you're telling me is that even though it was 50-50, the father gets cut out. Why did the father get cut out? Because she became a Bulgaris. And those jurisdictional rights now shift. To, says that can't be. Why can that not be? Now let me explain it outside and we'll see it inside. We know that the father loses jurisdictional rights over his daughter in a number of ways. One is when she goes from being a Nara to being a Bulgaris. The other case he's talking about when he dies. Right. Now, when he dies, we see, we say that, for example, he has rights to her uh, Maisia Dain, he has rights to uh, her, uh, her Nadorim, he has certain rights over her. He does not bequeath those to his children. The rights the father gives to the uh, father, the rights the Torah gives to the father over his daughter, do not, at the death of the father, become now the rights of the children. The sons. They don't, they don't become those rights. Okay? That's the aloha. It's not like an eviknami that you give over to your children when you die. It doesn't work that way. Is that if the father dies, jurisdictional rights of the father are lost. They don't go over to the children. Right? Now, similarly, the same thing applies, we're going to see, is when she becomes a nara. She becomes a nara also... It's, it's considered to be, they're, 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 they're lost. They're, they're lost. The Torah puts, gives two scenarios where the father can lose jurisdictional rights. He loses jurisdictional rights when she becomes a Bulgaris, and he loses jurisdictional rights when he dies. Now, what the one is going to say as follows that these two. Uh, we need to compare these two uh, events. The death of the father, which causes jurisdictional rights, and her growing out of the rishus of the father, going from Anara to becoming a Vagaris. Now, we already showed, we already showed that when the father dies, even, she's, let's say she's Anara, not a, when the father dies, what happens to the father's jurisdictional rights? They are lost. They don't shift over. To so the same way as when the father dies, the jurisdictional rights don't shift over to the husband, so too, if she becomes a Bulgaris, 
they will not shift over. So we're trying to figure out, so what's the case that you tell me that Yafakach of the husband over the father, that now the husband can go ahead and do it unilaterally. It cannot start off that they were partners. Because if it starts over and they were partners, just as the death of the father will not allow those jurisdictional rights to shift over, her becoming Bulgarians will not allow it to shift over, and therefore he doesn't have stronger rights, he's not unilateral rights in that case. What? Right. Let's see it inside. That they were initially partners because the Aresin happened, which is a Nara. Ubagra, and then she became a Bagaris. Let's see. That when she dies, the, she's completely out of the father's domain. Even the children, says Rashi, don't have a right to inherit her. Similarly, Obogeras also takes her completely out of the domain of the father. And we already showed that Misa, it doesn't pour into the husband's domain, right? We said if they are joint partners and the father dies, those Nadarim cannot be unilaterally revoked by the husband. He doesn't, so therefore, just as Misa, he doesn't do it. So therefore, by Bogeras, he should not get it either. So we're trying to figure out, the Mishnah ended up saying is, that there is a case by Aresin, where the father cannot do it because she's a Bogeras, but the husband can, because he can, because he can be a Nala Bogeras. But what's the case? It can't be where they started off, where she started off as an Arusa, who was a Nara. Because once the father took hold of the, uh, of the rights of the Nara, they would not shift over to the husband. So what's the case? Ella must be the case was Keshibogeras. The case is, I'll tell you what happened is, when did she become an Arusa? She already, become, she already was a Bogeras. Now, if she already was a Bulgarian, at that point, the father already had lost jurisdictional rights. Before she got in betrothed, before she became an Arusa. So that case, it only started off in the jurisdictional rights of the husband, not in the... Uh, so you still needed, when she's a Bulgarian, both the husband and the father? No, no, the father has no more jurisdictional rights in that case. That's the situation. Now, the Ron throws in over here, and you have to say that she reached the time of Nesuin. Because part of being made for an Adorim is when you have an obligation to feed her. Right. But if it's before... What's that? Well, the father has no longer obligation to feed her because she's a Bagaris. The husband only has obligation to feed her if she's... Either you had Nesuin, but then that's not our case. Or you reach the time when the suin should end up happening. We're going to see by a, by a regular Nara, it's 12 months. We're going to see what it is by a Bulgaria. Uh, 12 months. So, uh, but the point, and even though she did not have it, that's the case where the husband is able to do the unilaterally annul her Nadorim. The father is not able to do it because she's a Bulgaria. But the father's rights did not have to shift over. Why the father's rights don't have to shift over? Because it started off as a Bulgarian, and therefore you don't have. That's the case of our Mishnah. That's what we're saying. So what it says like this. So Gemara says, "Ela Now let's just step back for a moment. Again, based on the morning Suvis and the Gemara later on in the Dharm, the Ron points out is that even when a husband is going to be made for the Nadorim of his wife. 
an arusa, it has to be that he still ha- he already has an obligation to feed her. Because if you don't have an obligation to feed her, you don't have the jurisdictional rights to go ahead and be made for a daughter. But she's an arusa. So if she's an arusa, how could he have the obligation to feed her? Must be that what happened? The time to do Nesuin had come and gone. But now you have an obligation to feed her. That's the scenario over here. Now the mother is going to so say... The past the 12 months. We're going to see, but she's a Bulgarian. We'll see the 12 months about Bulgarian. But the one is going to ask the following question. Is that the... <coughs> this is a Mishnah later on. There is a Mishnah later on that actually brings down a Machlokz Rebelezer and the Chachamim. The Rebelezer's talk of the This is Rebelezer's Shita. Rebelezer holds that if a, a Bulgarian has passed her due date for the time for feeding her, she's passed it, then at yeah, that point... What's that? Well, she's not on a sewer. But does that give, but since he's obligated to feed her from that point, can he also be made for her Nadarim? Rabbi Levin says, yes, the Chachamim say no. But the point is, why do we need, this is explaining our Mishnah. Our Mishnah said, there's a case where the husband is, is stronger than, the, wife, than the, the father. The case of Bulgaris. Now, what does that case have to be? She got married as a Bulgaris, it passed the time where she has to feed her, and going like the sheep of Rabbi Lezer, he can go ahead and be made for her Nadarim. Says, well, why do you have to write this case? It's going to be a later on. We're going to have this mamish. Going to have this ma- this sheet of Rebbe Lezer is going to be mentioned later on. Why are you bringing it up again? It seems to be redundant to tell me the sheet of Rebbe Lezer twice. That's what the Gemara's question is. So, Frag the Gemara. We already learned this one time. What's the reason of recording it a second time? Where do we see this later on? It's going to be later on on Gimel Ksuvas. We had it on in Zion. It says, Abogeres Shashasa Yudbeis Chodesh. Abogeres that waited 12 months. That's the 12 months are important here. Why the 12 months? Because he has to feed her. Right? You have to, it can be made for an Adarim. Now the Gemara goes on a complete tangent. What the Gemara is going on a tangent right now is, it's true that a Nara, you start feeding after 12 months. There's a Shita over there that Abogeres only need 30 days. Right? So the Chara, why does it say over here, Bulgaris, that waited 12 months, take a look at the run, it's not so it's, simple. It's, but it's, not, it's not 12 months. It says Bulgaris, that made it 12 months. You don't need 12 months for Bulgaris. All you need is 30 days, right? This happens to be Rafuna's Shita, which is refuted later on. Well, uh, uh, he's uh, saying he must be coming and talking about a Nara. So, no, but the Mysore can't be talking about a Nara. So, Tani, Bogeres, no, it could be talking about a Nara, actually. It could be talking about a Nara that has 12 months are. She's past her father's house. Right, and. And, and she has no obligation to meet her. Right. So, Mysore said, El, what you have to say, Bogeres, Vishashasa, you would base they think it like it's two separate cases. It's either Bulgaris, who oh, 30 days might be enough right. for, or a Nara, Nara that's like, right there, the letter she did, you could be made for her yes. Nadarin. Now. Even though you can start thinking. Right. Now, I'm going to say it like this. Mikama but nevertheless, well, the question goes back to being a question. Is that if that's Rebelezer's Shita later on in the Mishnah, why does our Mishnah have to say it again? Why do we have to read the redundance? I'm going to give two ways to answer it. First answer is like this, you're right. Here is the primary introduction of the Shita of Lezer is our Mishnah. The only reason it mentions it later on, because if it only had our Mishnah, there's a halacha, there's a stam Mishnah, that's the halacha. 
If it's a stam and then it followed by machlokas, that's not the halacha. So it had to, here, it wanted to tell you the sheet of Rebbe Lezer. That's the primary over here. But it had to repeat Rebbe Lezer over there to show you that the halacha is not like him. Because if it never repeated the machlokas, Rebbe Lezer and the, and the Chachamim over there, then you think the halacha is like this. So therefore, it's not a redundancy. It said it here, but it wrote it mentioned over there to show you that it's a stam angach machlokas. And we don't follow it. And we don't follow Rebbe Lezer. That's one way of answering, which makes that the primary introduction of Lezer is here, and it's repeated over there to show you that's not the halacha. The other way to explain it, that Mars is like this, is that actually there, the primary introduction is on the Mishnah later on. The Mishnah later on, that's the primary place to introduce Rebbe Lezer. The only reason it's being over here, because since the first half of the Mishnah wanted to show you, in this way, the father is stronger than the husband, so it also wanted to show you, and in this way, it's possible that the husband is stronger than the father. That's the only reason it's being brought in over here, to show that contrast, even though that's only like Rebbe Lezer, and Rebbe Lezer only being introduced later on, but in order to show that contrast, that's the only reason it's being brought down. Right. So why is it like this? So more is like this. I the Ibai's Ema, Bogeres Dafka, the Mishnah Bogeres later on, that's the primary introduction of Rebeliazer. But I did not say Rasha Bezet. Since the first half of Al Mishnah said Bezet, in this way, the father is stronger than the husband, so not to say for therefore taught to say for Rebelezer, just to teach me, not for the sake of introducing Rebelezer, just in case to show the contrast that there is, according to one opinion, what? There is a way that what? That the so therefore, Nazif Sefer, Nami Bezer, to teach me that the case where the husband is stronger than the, than the father. Okay, don't stop. You, 